0: Welcome to Understanding Buddhism in America. My shout-outs for today are for my fiancé, Melody, who I love very much. I'd like to give a shout-out to Patience, Chidao, and for one of my oldest friends, Arzu. And I want to give a big thank you to Jason Jarrett. He's the creator of another Buddhist podcast called A Buddhist Podcast, I believe. And it's one of the main inspirations for my creating this podcast. I also wanted to say thank you for everyone who sent me an email. I've received a number of emails recently, and I'm really glad to hear you guys are enjoying the show, because I I love making the show, and I love that you guys are enjoying it. And the main reason, I think, why I love making the show is because I'm such a little kid that whenever I see a microphone, I get really excited. And even though I own my microphone, and I'm on it every episode talking, I still get the little kid excitement whenever I see one, because I could do something normal, like, Welcome to Understanding Buddhism in America. But that gets a little old over time, so sometimes when I'm warming up I beef it up a notch and I add in some like effects and it ends up sounding like this, like Welcome welcome to Understanding understanding Buddhism Buddhism in America! America! Yeah, so basically I'm a giant kid. (laughs) Today I'd like to talk about dealing with real life issues using Buddhist concepts. First of all, let me explain what Buddha nature is. Buddha taught that every living being is a Buddha, but if we don't truly believe that we are Buddhas, we will never realize our potential, and this universal Buddhahood will remain a secret. So you're a Buddha, and I'm a Buddha. Everyone we know was a Buddha. I mentioned in my last podcast that I like to think of Buddha nature as silence. We tend to think that things are either noise or silence, but the truth is deeper, in that silence exists within all sound. Even though silence is within all sound, it usually is ignored because sound is easier for our ears to latch on to. This is the same of how space lies within forms, but if you look around a room, space is something your eyes will skip right over. Buddha nature is just like silence in space. It is our true nature, existing underneath what we've grown to call ourselves. But underneath whatever you think is your whether it be your personality, your body, your thoughts, your emotions, or your history, there exists your true self. This is your Buddha nature. It is unaffected by these other things. Sound does not change silence, but is more like an expression of silence. Form does not change space, but it's more like an expression of space. And your personality, history, and baggage does not change your Buddha nature. It is more like an expression of your Buddha nature. So think of your Buddha nature as your true self. It isn't your job, your money, your goals, your history, your accomplishments, your failures, your personality, your belongings, your family, or your friends. Your Buddha nature is what exists underneath and within all of those things. We're born Buddhas. We die Buddhas. It's the reason why we can always start at any point in our lives with a clean slate. So now that we have a basic understanding for what the term Buddha nature means, how in the world can we apply it to the struggles and stresses of everyday life? I was meditating a few days ago and I was having a really difficult time. First my back ached, and then my breathing was off, and then my posture was off, and I just couldn't seem to get it together. This is a pretty common occurrence in meditation. Once I became physically comfortable, my mind started shooting off in all different directions. I felt fear that I wasn't meditating right somehow. I felt irritated that my mind wouldn't quiet down. And as soon as I was done with one negative thought, three more would spring up in its place. Finally, I decided to try something new. And as I inhaled, I thought the words, no problems. And as I exhaled, I thought the words, no mind. I found this to work perfectly, and I've been using it in stressful and emotional situations ever since. So let's start with no problems. Some people might hear the phrase no problems and think it's a statement of denial or repression. Clearly everyone has problems, so how could anyone say that and truly mean it? This is how our brains like to think when we choose not to search for any deeper meanings. What no problems really means is that we tend to associate our problems and worries as things transmitted to us that are caused by others. Our worries and our problems, even if it appears that other people caused the spark that was the fire, are essentially our own doing and are under our control. I don't mean that the problems themselves are necessarily under control. After all, if there's a raging fire that burns my neighborhood to the ground, it would probably be out of my control to stop it. What I mean is that the fact that I interpret something as a problem is under my control. That may sound a little delusional, so let me explain. Our problems are almost always thought of as transmissions from something to us. This is what stresses us out. We think, how could this person, this day, this life, or this world curse me in such a way? But what no problems, no mind means is that there is no difference between our worries and ourselves. Now let me explain the next part, no mind. The mind is often thought of as a manager of a business. It interprets information and directs the body to act on it. But if the mind's the manager, then shouldn't we be the manager's boss? We think we should be able to control our minds to the tiniest degree, and we often assume that we have this control. But minds aren't meant to be controlled. There's an old Zen explanation saying that a lake does not hesitate to reflect the rising moon. What this means is that our minds, when we boil it down, are non-existent. There is nothing that we can point to and say, that is the mind. This is because the mind is a reflection of its surroundings. If you look for the mind, you'll only see an endless series of reflections, and nothing more. Life is like the rising moon, as in, it's an experience. Our minds are reflections of this experience of life. We have no control of when something will go into the frames of our reflections, and likewise, no control when they leave. This is just like how a lake has no control over when the moon will come and go out of its reflection. But all the mind needs to do is reflect, and it does so without effort. So we don't need control over our reflections for our minds to be clear, just like the lake doesn't need control over the moon to reflect it clearly. This is done spontaneously and instantaneously. A lot of people struggle with this idea because uncertainty tells us that our lives are not complete, so we must be doing something, or thinking something, or viewing something incorrectly. But thinking our minds are doing something wrong is just like thinking a lake is reflecting a moon incorrectly. And to attempt to fix the image, we splash about the lake. But in doing so, we'll only distort it. This is where meditation comes into play. It's often thought of as learning to control the mind, but this couldn't be farther from the truth. Meditation is learning how to observe the mind dispassionately, to let it wander wherever it may without judgment, to let it reflect the experience of life without distortion, to the point where we see life so clearly, the inner Buddha is unleashed and allowed to awaken and roam free. Since the mind is just a reflection of life, it's easy to understand that life itself is an extension of our minds. We think of art as extensions of ourselves. We paint a picture, take a photo, perform a dance, or sing a song, and we feel the art we've created is a piece of us. Well, problem solving is an art too. Being able to take an issue and solve it is no different than taking a canvas and painting it. When we think this way, we find problems to be opportunities for growth and expression. We see whatever arises as an extension of ourselves. So when I say no problems, no mind, It means my problems and issues aren't transmitted to me, they simply exist naturally, and my mind reflects that. If I viewed problems solely as transmissions from person to person, I would constantly be frustrated and angry with everyone in the world because we're all the causes of problems to someone at some point, so instead I view them as extensions of myself and my life that should be accepted as much as any other part of me. This doesn't come automatically or even easily sometimes, so whenever I find myself feeling emotional or stressed, I repeat the words, no problems, no mind. I've tested this out, and even in the heat of an argument, it works pretty well. You certainly don't have to say the same thing, but I encourage you to try and find your own little chant for when you're feeling emotional. My only advice is to make sure whatever you end up with implies the message that your problems are normal, natural, and necessary. Our Buddha natures exist under all of everything we usually refer to as ourselves. But our personalities and desires are a part of us too. They give us the understanding to complete even the most basic of tasks, like eating, drinking, and communicating. So while silence exists under sound, that doesn't mean that silence exists separate of sound. It exists both without sound and within it. Space doesn't exist separate of form, it exists within it and without it. Likewise, our buddha natures, or true selves, exist both without our problems, and within them. I'm sure even the buddha nature has seemed like a problem to someone, and that's because a problem is essentially just a negative perception. It's a reflection that we've deemed distorted, even when the problem is perfectly clear. It just happens to be something we don't like. When we see our friends having problems, we almost don't even think of them as problems. We know they can do whatever they need to do, and we have no doubt that in one way or another, they'll succeed. Everything gets a little blurrier when the problems are deemed as our own, because we've attached to the idea that any one of our problems automatically must be a blemish on our reflection caused by some external factor, rather than part of the reflection itself. This causes us to deny we have problems, deny we're to blame for our problems, and deny that we can solve our problems, all of which are incorrect and only prolong the problem-solving. Rarely do we understand that problems are simply things passing in and out of our reflection's frame, and are in need of no more repair than a reflection of the moon on a still lake. I could say that if I didn't have a problem yesterday, received a phone call today, and now I have a problem, the phone call must be the culprit, right? This solution makes my ego happy because I've decided that its translation of the phone call is not the source of the problem. How in the world could my ego be a cause to the problem that I so blatantly received during a phone call from another person? I think there's no way the problem is my ego. The problem may be the phone. If we didn't have one before we got the call, whoever called us couldn't reach us. The problem may be the person on the other end of the line. If they didn't exist, perhaps we wouldn't have been cursed with this problem. But even if we got rid of the phone, killed the caller, and then became deaf, dumb, and blind, we would still have this problem. So don't get rid of the phone. Don't kill the caller. Don't cause your own deafness, dumbness, or blindness, and instead, try to understand that problems are just a part of any life. They're a part of every person. Having a problem is just as natural as seeing a reflection in a mirror. They ultimately challenge us and help us grow like water and sunshine to any plant. Without problems, we'd all just be alone, sitting on our couches, waiting for death. Life would have no fun or sport to it. We'd never know what we're truly capable of. Stress, problems, and worries are not evil and are not broken pieces of the outside world. They're parts of our daily lives. So the next time I find myself feeling overwhelmed, stressed, or emotional, I'll just say to myself, no problems, no mind. This will cause me to realize that problems are just a part of life and are therefore unavoidable. I can translate, internalize, and express them whatever ways I want. I've found it's far more beneficial for my health and for the health of my relationships to treat my problems with the same acceptance and clear awareness that I'd give to anything else, rather than to treat them as curses cast upon me by others. If problems are all viewed as purposeful acts of viciousness by other people, Eventually, every other person we know will be our enemy. But if I can manage a problem without taking its very existence and arising personally, then there really are no problems. No mind. Thank you for listening to Understanding Buddhism in America. My name is Mike, and if you'd like to contact me with questions or comments or criticisms about the show, you can email me at understandingbuddhisminamerica@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a message, a shout-out, or an experience, that would all be great, and I'd love to incorporate them into my show. Uh, You can also leave an audio clip, and I can play that in my show as well. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.